Some of the most inspiring seasons and times of my life have come when the church has come together. Oh, jeez. And when I don't drop chairs. When the church has come together in Jesus' name and shared in a project or put their hands to a task or touched a community or advances God's kingdom, as they together with the Bride of Christ have shared their gifts to make a difference in this world. We're in this series in 1 Peter, and last week, as I shared with you, we talked about the work of holiness in our lives and how holiness was important in our journeys because of the way that it fueled us with hope to press forward in difficult times. And similar to last week, um, I want to start with a story from about 18 years ago when I was in Ingersoll, Ontario on my internship. And today I want to talk about the calling and the work uh, in our lives to be living stones for Jesus and how that helps us and brings us to places not where we can live within the days and struggle that we have, but where we can thrive and be blessed and truly stand up in the midst of struggle. It was December of 2000, and similar to last week, I was in southern Ontario and was, uh, you know, in a great little church of about 110 people. And in that church, as I arrived in September of that year, they had told me about two great events that were going to take place. One was Acquire the Fire, the youth conference that I talked about last week, where we saw hundreds, if not thousands, of lives changed uh, in, in Cops Coliseum in, in um, Hamilton. And this week, uh, and the, the other event that they talked about was an event called Bethlehem Walk that I want to share with you this week. This was a great community event. This little church uh, was between the towns of Ingersoll and Thamesford, and it was right out in the middle of the country, halfway at the intersection of three, uh, three major roads, hence the name Crossroads Alliance Church. And this church planned all year for a great community event to take place. People would pray, they would sew costumes, they would write scripts, they would bake and cook food, they would build and design sets, uh, they would clear the trail that the people would take as a community came, and they would literally walk through the property of the church, about four or five acres, through a trail through the trees and the bush, and have different experiences and stop at different stations along the way, hearing and receiving the story of Jesus and his journey to the manger, and then at the very end, the pastor would stand up in the sanctuary, this small little country church, and share the gospel and the work of Jesus on the cross to them. It was a huge event, huge, and all it took all year long to plan this out and to get ready for it. And so when I arrived in the church, they wanted to break me in. I was a brand new rookie, significantly more shy and quiet and subdued, believe it or not, than I am now. And so they wanted to break me in, and they gave me this great post at the first station. I got to be a Roman soldier. And when people came by, I would stop them in their tracks and ask them to pay a fee or, or a toll, or I'd make them, I would tax them and, and take a shekel from them. Uh, and, and then they could continue on their way. It sounded like a great plan. So I got this Roman robe and I, a, a sword and a shield and, and all of this fun stuff. And so it, it was supposed to go like this. It was supposed to be somewhat of a surprise attack. That when the, the host or the guide would lead these people up the path, I would jump out from behind trees. I would say something in a strong voice like, Halt! Who goes there? And the people would stop, be surprised, and everything 
would be fun and, and light, and we would laugh together, and it should have gone just perfect, right? Well, quick editor's note. As we were out in the countryside, the people that lived to the next, to the east of the property, I suppose, um, they weren't necessarily adverse or, or, or against the, this Bethlehem walk that was taking place, but they were more and more getting a little bit annoyed. Uh, the noise of the crowd, the parking on the streets, um, sometimes people parking in their driveway had caused them to become a little bit grumpy with this great event that was taking place. And to be honest, I don't blame them a, a little or, or too much for that. It was just kind of the reality. It was getting a little bit frustrating. And we were concerned as church leadership that we were going to somehow offend these people and that, and that uh, we would have more of a problem on our hands. Okay, fast forward back to, back to Bethlehem Walk, and I was uh, hidden behind a tree, crouched down like this, waiting for these, the first group to come forward. Unbeknownst to me, Mrs. Grumpy Pants, the neighbor lady, was in the, the first person in this group uh, stepping towards me. And it would have gone perfectly had it not been for the darkness of night. So I hid behind the tree. I leapt out and through the air in the loudest voice I could, I yelled out, Halt! Who goes there? And to my horror, Princess Grumposaurus Rex was nose to nose with me as I jumped out. She screamed. And then with arms that kind of went like this, it was like out of a cartoon, she fell back straight on her back and then kind of did, you know, a snow angel in the snow. In my horror, I looked down, not realizing who she was, and I said, oh my goodness, ma'am, I'm so sorry, completely out of character. The, the, the guide for this group was one of the board of elders in our church, and he smacks his head like this, and he kind of throws his hands up, and in, in, a, in like shock and awe, there is Princess Grumpy on the ground. And so I, I, I tried to pick her up, and I said, ah, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and trying to pull it back together, I said, I, I just need some taxes, or a fee, or a shekel, <laughs> and... And she kind of looks at me stunned, and the, the elder of our church, the guide, kind of reaches into his little bag, and he throws his plastic coin at me, and the group killing themselves laughing kind of pushes by, and they move on to the angels at the next station. Friends, this morning we want to talk about how we as Christians, living in the world that we do, can find strategies to thrive in the seasons of life that we're living in. And similar to last week, I'm not going to suggest to us this morning that we know the depth or the measure of suffering and persecution that this early church in Asia Minor knew as Peter is writing this letter. But more and more, as we live in this world that we do, it feels like the walls of our society, the walls of our culture are pressing in. And our desire to live out our faith and our desire to, to live for Jesus in very outward ways, it feels like that's being suppressed more and more. And so the, the, this morning... My heart is to speak to us about how we not only live in the spaces that we do, but how can we thrive? How can we move forward and live in ways that give us different perspective, stronger hope, stronger um, opportunities to live for Jesus, to have a stronger impact in this world? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be reading from verses 4 to 10 this morning. A wonderful passage, a famous passage even, as we receive the word of God. And so 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, and similar to last week, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read this together as we uh, receive the word of the, God, of, of the Lord here today. Will you read with me? 
As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a, a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. But to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe... The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had received mercy... But now, once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. You may be seated. These are people who are really feeling the walls of society press in. They're feeling like foreigners in a familiar land. And Peter reminds them over and over and over that hope isn't lost. That the foundation for discovering hope is not found in the things that we do, rather that the foundation for, or the things that we set our hands to, rather the foundation of hope always in life is rooted in Jesus. And similar to last week um, that we, we talked about, we have our identity in and from what Peter leads us to in, in Jesus. And, and when we understand this and embrace that identity and understand that gospel foundation, friends, we will have a foundation not just for living, but for thriving. And so Peter once again starts with this critical foundation, and he says here, starting in verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, and he's establishing the importance of relationship with Jesus. He's establishing the importance of, of, of a decision we made to consciously come to Jesus and, and be in relationship with him. He's saying, as you've come, as you've confessed your sin, as, if, as you have acknowledged your need for a Savior and Lord, as you've received your Holy Spirit, as you've come, now your identity is in Him. It's in Jesus. He's saying that this is who you are. This is your true self. And this is what you are now. You are founded and grounded in Jesus. And He keeps going. As you've come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him. And it's so often, friends, the case, isn't it? More and more and more, we identify with the fact that as our foundation is in Jesus, as we choose to live for him and as we choose to stand for him in the different spaces and places in our culture and society, more and more, much like Peter is, is saying to the early Christians here, we find ourselves in similar places where as we've chosen to come to Jesus, we are rejected by humans the decisions that we make, the things that we stand for, are causing people to look sideways out of the corner of their eye. They're causing people to place judgment upon the Christian family and the Christian community. We're getting pushed to the outside. We're getting pushed to the margins and, and the boundaries of this world and, and the voice of influence that we feel like we used to have. It's being disregarded more and more and heard less and less. That word rejected there, literally, the, the interpretation and the meaning of it is that, is that a builder would take a stone. It's like a builder would take a stone, 
And as he's building a wall or, or a house or, or a foundation, it's like he takes that stone and he looks at it and he makes a, a decision that it's not good enough, it's not worthy enough to be, to be a part of that structure. And so he casts it off to the side. And this is the way we feel. We feel that because of, of, of the things that we're a part of, and sometimes or oftentimes because of the things that we've done, we're not worthy or qualified to, to, to do the work of God or to continue on in the ways that we go. Sometimes it might not be the outside pressures of the world. Sometimes it might be the things that we've done or the things that we've been a part of in our past. Because of our sin, because of our brokenness, because of our historical story, uh, something that we've done has led us to this place where we feel like we've been rejected by the world and also by God. That we're not good enough, that we're unqualified, we're not worthy to come and, and sit at the feet of Jesus, let alone do the work of Jesus. And this is a space the devil loves to, to work in and, 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 and deceive us in. And Peter says, this isn't who you are. This isn't a part of that foundation that I'm, I'm trying to, to, to bring forward to you. It's, I'm trying to explain to you. This isn't, this isn't what God has for you. You're not rejected, but you're chosen. Receive that. And so because of, of who these Christians were, they were being rejected and challenged. And because of what they represented in Jesus, similar to Jesus, they were being rejected and cast aside. And what Peter does here is that while he establishes that the world sees us in this way, he explains to us that our identity as, as sometimes that we feel anyway, as despised, rejected, and pushed to the outside people is not what God desires for us. We are children of the king, friends. We are a holy priesthood, a cornerstone of his plan to build a spiritual house and establish his kingdom here on earth. He has chosen us. He's received us. He's dealt with our sin condition so that we don't have to be rejected. We don't have to be despised. We don't have to be set aside or cast off. We are treasured, valued, cherished prizes of the king. We are part of his arsenal in his army that he is using to literally transform the world around us. What Peter says here is that we're not disqualified because of the things that we've done or the way that people feel about us, but rather we're qualified because of who we are in Jesus. And I need you to hear this this morning because I believe that in this world so often the trick of the devil is to disqualify us and lead us to places where we do not feel worthy. But this is not our identity. Our identity is found in Jesus we're not disqualified because we don't do enough good work. We're qualified because Jesus has, uh, has accomplished and already done the work that needs to be done. He died on the cross. He poured out his blood. He, the curse of sin was broken because of what he did, not because of what we did. And we will never be good enough or smart enough or gifted enough. We have nothing to do with it. It's all accomplished because of Jesus. And as he looks at your life and as he looks at mine, he doesn't see someone who's disqualified because we've gone the wrong way or we've said the wrong things or at some point we've sinned and that's been too much and it broke everything. No, friends, you are qualified and, we, and I am qualified because Jesus has done the work. We are living stones, as he talked about here in, in verse 5. And not only that, we are a priesthood. We have been consecrated and set apart, chosen, chosen by the king. 
There's an inference here, a picture of Leviticus chapter 8, verse 16, where Moses took the, uh, took the anointing oil and he poured it over Aaron's head. That's who you are. That's how God considers you. You have been set apart for good works. You've been set apart for more. And you don't have to struggle in this world and try to figure out your spot. Jesus has appointed you and anointed you to thrive, to do good things, to be set apart. He values you and he cherishes you. And it's often the case that the, double wisp, the devil whispers into our ears or he holds up to the windows of our soul the things that we've done wrong. And Jesus says, it's finished. You are exactly who I want you to be. You are exactly in the spot that I need you. Culture tells us, friends, that the solution to our problems is to fix them. The solution to our shame is to hide it. The solution to our brokenness is to cover it up and to cover up the pieces of our life that aren't good enough. But God says to us that his qualification system is different. Peter is saying to us here that the qualification system is different. He says that his power is made perfect in our weakness. That our true identity is discovered not in our successes but in our failures. And the truth is, friends, that we were created for more. And he keeps going here, and he, he, he keeps fleshing this out. He says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. This is a metaphorical picture of Jesus. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. In our weakness, when we realize that we, we don't have anything to bring to the table, in our weakness, when we realize that we need a Savior and Lord, it's there that we discover our true identity, and that is Jesus. And as we embrace this, friends, I believe that more and more and more, God will be faithful to show us his true purpose. And that is to build his kingdom, to be his hands and his feet, to be light in darkness. We were made to thrive. And I get it that this world is hard. This morning I picked up my phone as I woke up and it went off way too early and I picked it up and I looked at it and there's scores of stories of how broken our world is. Today should be an extremely discouraging day. But today is a day where we celebrate. Today is a day where we're lifted, where we actually receive the benefit and the lift of the cross of Jesus because our identity is in him. We were meant to thrive. God has so much more. Well, Peter goes on here, and he says in verses 7 and 8 these words, Now to you who believe the stone is precious... Or sorry, let, let, me, let me infer that a bit different. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble in a rock uh, that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Peter gives a warning here against rejecting this living stone and the consequences that it can bring. What Peter, again, is leading these early Christians towards is the gospel. And I think we have to ask ourselves the questions, at least I did this last week, why do we keep coming back to this gospel foundation over and over and over again? Like, I get it already, Peter. In the first 38 verses of this chapter, you've brought it up like five or six times. Why do we have to keep being reminded of this? 
And I think the problem that he's articulating here is that so often in life, when we start to experience lift or encouragement or, or some measure of victory, that we love to, to kind of take the credit for ourselves. We love the attention. We love, we love people seeing us. We love, we love when, when we kind of get to take the credit for the good things that are happening. And this is what Peter is, is trying to speak against. That there is one gift or there is one, um, one stone, but there can be two very different results. And that's determined in how we receive the good news of Jesus. What he's saying here is that there's a constant pull on our hearts throughout all seasons. That when life is going well, when we're experiencing success and victory, when there's high points in life, our, our, our hearts love to take the credit for this. And it's a slippery slope. It's one that's not, that isn't going to lead us to, to further victory into that space of thriving, but instead it's one that's actually going to tear us down and take us deeper into the hole. He says that it's going to cause us to stumble. It's a rock that's going to make us fall. And it's a very broken path, uh, pathway forward. But when we can rest in the dynamic relationship with Jesus when we intentionally choose to let the light shine on him, when we choose to embrace this identity that, that we are weak, but he is strong, the greater is he who is in us than he who's in this world. When we can embrace that dynamic relationship, then we will intentionally uh, choose to bring our lives together with Jesus and, and, and we, will, uh, we, will, we will see and experience the lift of Jesus in very tangible and very practical ways. The reality of this relationship is that, is that when, when we embrace it, when we intentionally choose to bring our lives together with Jesus, that it will fuel our hope. And it will help us not just to find hope, but to thrive. It will help us to find victory even in the darkest and hardest spaces that we live in. And I believe that at various points in our journey, we're going to have an encounter uh, with this decision over and over and over again. Then in the hard seasons of life, maybe we find a, a, a pathway or we find a way that we can step forward in the struggles that we have. And we're going to be confronted with a decision. Are we going to embrace the dynamic relationship that we share with Jesus and embrace the gospel? Or are we going to try to find our own way? And figure this out on our own. Peter says here that, that if you go your own way, there isn't light to be found. There isn't victory. Instead, that decision is going to lead us to broken spaces. Disobedience to embracing our true identity in Jesus, friends, leads us to these broken, these broken places. Um, which is, is not what we're destined for if we receive Jesus. And Satan loves to tempt us with this. As we go through life, as we are confronted with this decision, Satan loves to tell us or help us to believe that there's a book or there's a program or, or there's, there's something that we can bring to the table that's going to help, help lift us out of, our, out of our situations. And yet Peter says the result of this is, is very broken. But he says if you make the right choice, the dynamic relationship with Jesus is always one that leads us to victory and joy not sorrow and defeat. This past Wednesday night, I was sitting in the waiting room at the, um, in the ICU. 
intensive care unit. I was praying for Tom and for Joel. And I started to reflect and remember the life that Chris shared with us. And I think this is a lady that got it. Chris had struggles in life. There was hard things that she struggled through with her health. I remember sitting here last Sunday and she was in the back there walking with a cane. It was hard. But every single day she chose, she was confronted with a decision to stand for Jesus and to live in that dynamic relationship. I'm just quickly pulling up her Facebook page because there's a verse she shared with us on Monday after church last week. And I'm not saying Chris Moore was perfect, but I believe that Chris Moore received the lift of Jesus on a regular basis because she chose to deny herself and live for him. She wrote on Monday at 7.36 p.m. these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. What God had planned for people who love him is more than eyes have seen or ears have heard. It, was, it has never even entered our minds. The lift of Jesus is powerful, friends. And the thing about it that is dynamic, or one of the things about it that is dynamic, is that it doesn't just affect us, but it fuels and it, 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 it gives to the world around us hope and lift. It's unreal what takes place. Because people look at our lives and they see that we're lived differently, and it, it, does, it, it forces them to do an evaluation in their head. What's going on in the life of Aaron? What's going on in the life of Tom? What's going on in the life of Chris that is so different? It's the work of Jesus. And literally over the past, over the course of the last four or five days, three, four days, whatever it's been, we've seen that hundreds of lives have been touched because Chris Moore made the daily decision to live in that dynamic reality, that dynamic relationship. So why do we keep coming back to this? Why does Peter keep coming back to the gospel? It's because it's of first importance. It's because it affects us so much. It leads us down two different paths, our way or his way. And it's something that we need to be regularly reminded of because in the flesh, Satan will lead us down a space that will lead us to brokenness. But in the spirit, Jesus leads us to more. Well, Peter finishes this passage with uh, one of the most, I think, beautiful passages in Scripture and beautiful reminders of this identity. And he says these words to us, starting in verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. He makes this deliberate transition here back to this identity piece. You are a chosen people. Notice that word there, people. The first part of this passage really speaks more towards the individual believer. And now he's speaking to the bride, to the church. This is a clear calling to us as a collective group here, friends. And it isn't a statement 
to one person, it's a declaration to a group, to the bride of Christ, who together share in the dynamic relationship that Jesus has for us. Chosen. A priesthood that belongs to the king. A holy nation. God's special possession. Called to proclaim the glorious deeds of God. The work of the church is to point people towards Jesus. It's to show people the better way. It's to step into our communities as, as people who are anointed and appointed, set apart and consecrated to do the works. We are, we are called um, to do more, to proclaim Jesus in this world. And this is what he's saying here in, verses, in verse 9. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into wonderful light. We see the world differently, friends, when we embrace our true identity as people who are anointed and appointed to do the work of Jesus here on this earth. And it's dynamic, it's exciting. The miracle of how we find hope in community is that we press forward together and we look to Jesus together. And it's rooted in what God has done for us and out of that comes a powerful foundation. Each person plays a part. Each person uses their gift. Each person looks around them and links arms with other Christians who are there and they intentionally live together in the within the dynamic relationship of Jesus. And it's powerful. It's been unbelievable to me in recent days here at UDAC how people in fresh ways are discovering their spiritual gifts and how they're finding other people in the room that complement those gifts and how they're working together. It's exciting. It's dynamic and it's powerful. And there's starting to be a fresh wind of the Spirit that's being blown through our church as people are linking arms and doing ministry together. This past week, our staff team sat down and we're doing something called a Grip Berkman assessment. And it's just, it's really a personality profile thing, but there's a big part of it that is, is rooted and based in spiritual giftedness. And as we're discovering our gifts in fresh ways and as we're explaining them to each other, um, we're, we're finding that, that God has brought together a team that, whose gifts complement each other well. That when, when uh, you know, Aaron goes out to do this, probably um, Scott needs to come aside for some wisdom. That when Justine goes out and, and does pastoral ministry um, in, in this space, that... that uh, uh, amethyst can come alongside and serve and pray. These gifts work together, and it's not just on our staff team, it's in our church. In recent days, people have discovered gifts of prophecy. People have discovered uh, gifts of intercession. People are serving, people are praying, and through it all, we're desiring that the kingdom of God would, would, would come here on earth as it is in heaven. It's powerful, friends, and it's being noticed. It's taking place. And, and lives are being touched. Two weeks ago at our pancake breakfasts, we watched as teams of people came together in Jesus' name. For 24 hours before pancakes took place, our young adults prayed through the night. And throughout that week, powerful relationships were formed with people in the community as people in this church, both young and old, came together and ministered in Jesus' name. I sat in the foyer last or two weeks ago, and a young lady came from the community, and she sat down, somebody I work with at the police station, 
she sat down and we talked about the church for hours. The next day she came again, and once again we talked about Christian faith. I went to the police station that afternoon and sat in her office, and once again we talked about faith. And it's not because I have something good to offer, but together as we served, when Stacy whipped up the gluten-free pancakes so that she could eat that day, when people prayed, when people engaged and sat down, something dynamic takes place in Jesus' name, and it's not about us, friends. I'm not going to lead us down the path to believe that, oh, Aaron brought some pretty cool gifts to the table, and Stacy whipped up some pretty awesome gluten-free pancakes, and so-and-so. You know, no, it's not about that. It's that we understood who we were in Jesus. It's that these people, whether it's pancakes or whoop-up days barbecue or day camp or, or the church camp out or Sunday mornings, people are understanding more and more who they are in Jesus. And as we work together as, as a holy nation, as God's special possession, and we declare Jesus to the world around us, dynamic transformations are taking place. And it's beautiful. This is a call to us as the church to be the bride, to live as believers in community intentionally together. And so how do we do this? How do we press forward in this life that Peter's calling us to so that we thrive in this world and, and not just kind of struggle and, and find our way through? Well, let me suggest four things. And we're coming to the end of our time, so I'm going to have to go through these quickly. But four things that we can do to live and thrive in difficult seasons of life. The first is probably the most important. It's that we need Jesus. And if you're here today and you haven't prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's going to be an opportunity in a moment to do that. Andrew's coming, one of our elders, and he is here and, and willing to, to hear your story and help, um, help you understand how you can invite Jesus to be a part of, of, of your story. You need to start there to understand what Jesus has done for you, that he died on the cross for your sins. And there's nothing that you can do to earn his love or his favor. The, the work's being done. You just need to accept it and receive it. It starts with Jesus. And Andrew would love to talk to you about that. I'll stay up here at the front as well if you want to come and talk. But it's the most important place to start. Receive Jesus. I'd suggest the second thing is that you need to discover your spiritual gifts. And maybe you've never done this before. Maybe you have understanding and perspective, but maybe you've done this before. And if you've never done this, out on the information desk after church are some spiritual gift inventories. And it's not, it's not the expert opinion. It's not the be-all and end-all, but it's a starting point. You can do a survey. It'd probably take you 15 to 20 minutes, maybe half an hour. It explains how to do it. You do that spiritual gift inventory, and then you start from there on a journey of discovering how God wired you and how, and how he's going to use you in this world to thrive. The third thing is that you start using those gifts. You start to practice the work of being a chosen person. You start to link arms with others. Somebody said to me this last week, I, don't, I feel infantile in my gifts. I feel like I've just begun. And I said, oh, amen, I feel exactly the same way. You don't have to be an expert. You just need to try. You need to start somewhere. So whether you have the gift of prayer or the gift of service, maybe you have the gift of encouragement or the gift of helps, 
Maybe your gift is generosity. I don't know what it is, but start, start to practice using that gift. Start to try. And if you need an opportunity to do that, come and talk to me after church. And we'll find a spot for you to serve here today. And the last thing is to link arms with other believers and share in ministry. There's great opportunities for this, friends. Maybe it comes in the school where your kids go or the office that you work. Maybe it's in your community. Maybe it's here on a Sunday morning. I don't know what the case might be. There's lots of opportunities coming forward to link arms with other believers and share in ministry. And understand the importance of this. We glorify God when we do this. We declare the praises of him who called out of darkness into wonderful light. We, we point people towards Jesus. We give them opportunities to come and meet and find Jesus. And we do it together. It changes us. It helps us to thrive. It helps us to live in for, as foreigners in a familiar land. When we pray and when we ask God to work in our world and, and when, we, when we desire uh, to move forward in this. We share in glorifying and, and declaring Jesus as God's chosen people together. And it's powerful. Light breaks in. Lives are touched. Peace is found. The presence of Jesus is felt. And it has a powerful effect upon the way that we live out our faith in our life each and every single day. After Grumposaurus Rex left the soldier's stadium, or the soldier's station, I suppose, where I was standing. My heart was gripped. <laughs> you know, I just felt so bad. Oh, I've wrecked the whole thing this year. So very quickly, not surprisingly, after, you know, I scared this lady to fall to the ground and make snow angels, one of the el another elder from the church came over and he said, Oh, hey, uh, Aaron, why don't you take a break and go get something to drink and we'll find someone to take your place. And I was gripped, friends. It's like, oh, I gotta find this lady and apologize to her. So I walked through the four or five acres of Crossroads Alliance Church property, and finally I, I kind of burst in the back doors of, of the church, of the sanctuary, and, and there I saw her across the room. And as Pastor John, our pastor, was sharing the gospel with her and giving an invitation for people to invite Jesus into their heart, there was this woman with tears pouring down her face, obviously touched by the work and presence of Jesus that day. It wasn't one person that made Bethlehem work. It wasn't one life that made a difference. It was a body of believers who sowed and who prayed, who gave and who cooked, who yelled out and embarrassed their church, and who proclaimed Jesus. We are the church. We're the living stones. And not only that, Jesus has invited us to be the priests, the hands and the feet who actively go into this world and declare Jesus to the nations. And Peter says to us that this is the better way. This is more. The church, we were made to thrive. That we have the good news. And while the, while the world is broken and while it's dark, there is light that can pierce through even to the darkest of corners. And we get to be a part of that. So this morning, if you're here, and if you're ready, I want you to make the conscious decision to stand up. 
to be that living stone, to not just settle for second place or not just settle to say that I'm disqualified and I'm broken. No, Jesus has said, you're perfectly qualified because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And greater is he who is in you than he who's in this world. The abundant life is ours to know even in the darkest of seasons. And it comes when we live in the foundation of Jesus. And so will you join me? Will you fight the good fight? Will you discover your gifts? Will you receive Jesus and discover your gifts and start using them and link arms with others? It's hard. And it doesn't mean that we're always going to find strong success. It doesn't mean that life's going to get easier. But it is the better way. So I'm going to pray to conclude this service. And if you're here this morning and you're ready to stand up, you're ready to receive Jesus, you're ready to fight the good fight, I want to encourage you just to hold out your hands and to pray with me. Maybe after you need to come here to the front and talk with myself or Andrew, that would be great. But Jesus has more for us. And we want to be willing and ready to receive that. Let's pray together. If you're ready for more, I want to encourage you to hold out your hands. If you need to make a declaration today that Jesus is number one and he's Lord and you're going to live and rest in that foundation, then I want you to hold out your hands. Father, I want to thank you for the beautiful work of Jesus on the cross. I thank you, Jesus, that you stepped out of heaven to redefine exactly who we are. I want to thank you, Jesus, that, that for the work of redemption, of reconciliation. I want to thank you that you are dynamically a part of our story so that when we face the seasons of life like the one that we're in now, that's hard, that's broken, that it oftentimes can become very discouraging, we can experience daily the lift of the cross as we daily um, make the choice to follow you. So, Father, would you give us even more? Would you help us to discover exactly the way that you wired us to be? Would you transform our church be, uh, and, and help us to live in even greater and, and deeper ways in the spaces and places that you have for us? Helping us to shine the light of Jesus into all parts of this world. May today be the day, Lord Jesus, that we, we make the conscious decision to not make it about us, but to, to more fully make it about you. So we just commit ourselves to you. We commit our church to you. And in the upcoming days, whether it's uh, the church camp out or Whoop Up Days Barbecue or, or kids camp or the fall kickoff or Sunday mornings or living in the communities that we do, whatever it is that you have for us, Lord Jesus, may we intentionally create space in our life and thrive to live the life that you, and thrive as we live in the life that you have for us. Oh, Jesus, we love you, and we praise you. And I want to thank you for what you've done for each and every single one of us. We commit ourselves to you now, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. As you go, I want to encourage you still to be mindful and prayerful for the Moore family this week. If you want to join us on Tuesday morning, that would be wonderful. So we come together and celebrate an awesome life in Chris Moore. 
Some people have been asking about opportunities to give meals or, or to give, and uh, the, you could bring your, your meals here by the church, and, and then we'll take it over uh, bit by bit uh, as they come in. Uh, we don't want to overwhelm Tom's freezer uh, too much, and so if you want to contribute in that way, you could call the church office this week. I'd encourage you to continue to pray. The church as we go, I want to leave you with a benediction that I've used many times, and I think it's fitting for us here this morning. And so I leave you with these words. Church, let's go and be the church. The hands and the feet of Jesus in a world that desperately needs him. Let's go and be light in darkness and live in the foundation of Jesus and choose the better way. God bless you as you go. We love you so much. Andrew and I will be up here at the front. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you soon.